0: section two of the pilgrim's progress by john bunyan this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by marianne the life of bunyan chapter two bunyan was probably not more than twenty years old when he married of his marriage he gives us no details not even the name of the orphan girl whom he made his wife except so far as they bear upon his inner life His mercy was to light upon a wife whose father was counted godly, and who, though she brought him no marriage portion, so that they came together as poor as poor might be, not having, as he tells us, so much household stuff as a dish or spoon between us both, yet this she had for her part. The plain man's pathway to heaven, and, the practice of piety, which her father had left her when he died— In these two books i would sometimes read with her wherein i also found some things that were somewhat pleasing to me this reading did beget within me some desire to reform my vicious life and fall in very eagerly with the religion of the times to wit to go to church twice a day and that too with the foremost and there i would very devoutly both say and sing as the others did yet retaining my old wicked life a liking for the sports and games of the profane and ungodly lads of the village bell-ringing, dancing, and the like. The ceremonial of his parish church had a powerful effect on Bunyan's freshly awakened religious susceptibility. I adored, he says, with great devotion, even all things, both the high place, priest, clerk, vestments, service, and what else belonged to the church, counting all things holy that were therein contained, and especially the priest and the clerk most happy, and without doubt greatly blessed." because they were the servants of God and were principal in the holy temple to do his work therein. Yet service over, the sports upon the village green still claimed him. These Sunday sports proved the battleground of Bunyan's spiritual experience, the scent of the fierce inward struggles which he has described so vividly, through which he ultimately reached the firm ground of solid peace and hope. The teaching came in this way. One Sunday Vicar Hall preached a sermon, on the sin of sabbath-breaking, and like many hearers before and since, Bunyan imagined that it was aimed expressly at him. Sermon ended, he went home, with a great burden upon his spirit. But his Sunday's dinner speedily drove away his self-condemning thoughts. He shook the sermon out of his mind, and went out to his sports with the Elster lads on the village green, with as great a delight as ever. But in the midst of his game of cat, when he had struck one blow from the hole, and was about to strike it a second time, the minuteness of the detail showing the unforgettable reality of the crisis a voice did suddenly dart from heaven into my soul which said wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven or have thy sins and go to hell at this he says i was put to an exceeding maze wherefore leaving my bat upon the ground i looked up to heaven and was as if i had with the eyes of my understanding seen the lord jesus looking down upon me as being very hotly displeased with me but he shut his eyes against the light and having decided that it was too late for him to look after heaven he was past pardon he determined to look for what happiness he could get out of this world resolved he says to take my fill of sin still studying what sin was yet to be committed that i might taste the sweetness of it this desperate recklessness lasted with him about a month or more till one day as he was standing at a neighbor's shop window and there cursing and swearing and playing the madman after his wonted manner, the woman of the house, though a very loose and ungodly wretch, rebuked him so severely as, the ungodliest fellow for swearing that she had ever heard, able to spoil all the youth in the whole town, that he resolved, though it seemed to him well-nigh impossible, to try to break off this wicked habit. To his own great wonder he did leave off his swearing, and found that he could speak better and with more pleasantness, than when he put an oath before and another behind, to give his words authority. The next step in his religious progress was the study of the Bible, to which he was led by the conversation of a godly neighbor. He read the historical books with great pleasure, but frankly confesses, Paul's epistles and such like scriptures I could not away with. He set the keeping of the Ten Commandments before him as the way to heaven, much comforted sometimes, when, as he thought, he kept them pretty well but humbled in conscience when now and then he broke one but then he says i would repent and say i was sorry for it and promise god to do better next time and then get help again for then i thought i pleased god as well as any man in england his progress was slow for each step involved a battle but it was steadily onwards he had a very hard struggle in relinquishing his favorite amusements but though he had much yet to learn his feet were set in the upward way and he had no mind to go back, great as the temptation often was. He had once delighted in bell-ringing, but his conscience beginning to be tender, morbid, perhaps, he thought such practice to be vain, and therefore forced himself to leave it. But, hankering after it still, he continued to go while his old companions rang, and to look on at what he durst not join in, until the fear that if he thus winked at what his conscience condemned, a bell, or even the tower itself might fall and kill him, put a stop to that compromise. Dancing, which from his boyhood he had practiced on the village green or in the old moot hall, was still harder to give up. It was a full year before I could quite leave that, but this too was at last renounced, and finally. The power of Bunyan's indomitable will was bracing itself for severe trials yet to come meantime the changed life of the profane tinker had become the town talk. My neighbors were amazed at this my great conversion to something like a moral life, he writes, and truly so well they might, for this my conversion was as great as for Tom of Bedlam to become a sober man. Now, therefore, they began to praise, to commend, and to speak well of me, both to my face and behind my back. These commendations of the public greatly flattered his vanity, so that he was proud of his godliness, doing all he did either to be seen or well spoken of by man. Thus, for about a twelvemonth or more, he had great peace of conscience, thinking, God cannot choose but now be pleased with me. All while, he writes, poor wretch as I was, I was ignorant of Jesus Christ, and going about to establish my own righteousness, and had perished therein, had not God, in mercy, showed me more of my state by nature this revelation came to him by means of the conversion of three or four poor women whom one day when pursuing his tinker's calling at bedford he came upon sitting at a door in the sun and talking of the things of god these women were members of the congregation of the holy mr john gifford and their conversion evidenced how thoroughly they had drunk in their pastor's teaching bunyan himself was at this time a brisk talker in the matters of religion such as he drew from the life in his own talkative but the words of these poor women were entirely beyond him they opened a new and blessed land to which he was a complete stranger they spoke of their own wretchedness of heart of their unbelief of their miserable state by nature of the new birth and the work of god in their souls and how the lord refreshed them and supported them against the temptations of the devil by his words and promises But what seems to have struck bunyan the most forcibly was the happiness which their religion shed in the hearts of these poor women religion up to this time had been to him a system of rules and restrictions of religion as a divine life kindled in the soul and flooding it with a joy which creates heaven on earth he had no conception but these women spoke as if joy did make them speak they spoke with such pleasantness of scripture language and with such appearance of grace in all they said, that they were to me as if they had found a new world. Their words went with him as he left, and went about his work again. He saw that, though he thought himself a godly man, and his neighbors thought so too, he wanted the true tokens of godliness, and he could not rest until he had them. So he made it his business to be going again and again into the company of these good women. The more he talked with them, The more he questioned his own condition. The salvation of his soul became all in all to him. His mind lay fixed on eternity like a horse-leech at the vein. The Bible became precious to him. He read it as he never did before. I was indeed then never out of the Bible, either by reading or meditation. The epistles of St. Paul, which before he could not away with, were now sweet and pleasant to him. He was still crying out to God that he might know the truth, and the way to heaven and glory having no one to guide him in the study of the word it is no wonder that he misinterpreted and misapplied its words in a manner that went far to unsettle his brain he read that without faith he could not be saved and though he did not clearly know what faith was it became a question of supreme anxiety for him to determine whether he had it or not he determined to put it to the test the bible told him that faith even as a grain of mustard seed, would enable its possessor to work miracles. So, as Mr. Froude says, not understanding Oriental metaphors, he thought he had here a simple test which would at once solve the question. One day, as he was walking along the miry road between Elstow and Bedford, which he had so often paced as a schoolboy, the temptation came hot upon him to put the matter to the proof by saying to the puddles that were in the horse-pads, Be dry, and to the dry places, be ye puddles. And truly one time I was going to say indeed, but just as I was about to speak. This thought came into my mind. But go under yon hedge and pray first that God would make you able. This pause saved him from a rash venture which might have landed him in despair, for he concluded that if he tried after praying and nothing came of it, it would prove that he had no faith, but was a castaway. Nay, thought I, if it be so i will never try yet but will stay a little longer thus he continues i was so tossed between the devil and my own ignorance that i could not tell what to do at another time his mind was harassed by the insoluble problem of predestination and election the question was not whether he had faith but whether he was one of the elect or not and if not what then he might as well leave off and strive no further and then the strange fancy occurred to him that the good people at Bedford whose acquaintance he had recently made were all that God meant to save in that part of the country, and that the day of grace was past and gone for him, that he had overstood the time of mercy. Oh, that he had turned sooner, was then his cry. Oh, that he had turned seven years before. What a fool he had been to trifle away his time till his soul and heaven were lost. The Text compelled them to come in for yet there is room came to his rescue when he was so harassed and faint that he was scarce able to take one step more he found them sweet words for they showed him that there was place enough in heaven for him and he verily believed that when christ spoke them he was thinking of him and had had them recorded to help him overcome the vile fear that there was no place left for him in his bosom but soon another fear succeeded the former Was he truly called of Christ? He called to him whom he would, and they came unto him. But they could not come unless he called them. Had he called him, would he call him? If he did, how gladly he would run after him. But, oh, he feared that he had no liking to him, that he would not call him. True conversion was what he longed for. Could it have been gotten for gold, he said, that would I have given for it. Had I a whole world, it had all been gone ten thousand times over for this, that my soul might have been in a converted state. All those whom he thought to be truly converted were now lovely in his eyes. They shone, they walked like people that carried the broad seal of heaven about with them. Oh, that he were like them and shared in their goodly heritage. About this time he was at once troubled and encouraged by a dream or vision which presented itself to him he fancied that he saw his four Bedford friends refreshing themselves on the sunny side of a high mountain while he was shivering with dark and cold on the other side, parted from them by a high wall with only one small gap in it, and that not found but after long searching, and so straight and narrow withal that it needed long and desperate efforts to force his way through. At last he succeeded. Then, he says, I was exceeding glad, and went down and sat in the midst of them, and was so comforted with the light and heat of their sun. But this sunshine soon gave place to the old sad questioning as to his calling. Some words of the prophet Joel, chapter 3, verse 21, encouraged him to hope that, if not converted already, the time might come when he should be converted to Christ, and despair began to give way to hopefulness. It was at this crisis that he was introduced to the godly Mr. Gifford, the pastor of his Bedford friends, And began to attend the meetings of his disciples his first experiences after his introduction to mr gifford and the inner circle of his disciples were most discouraging what he heard of god's dealings with their souls showed him something of the vanity and inward wretchedness of his wicked heart and at the same time roused all its hostility to god's will it did work at that rate for wickedness as never did before the canaanites would dwell in the land his heart hankered after every foolish vanity, and hung back both to and in every duty, as a clog on the leg of a bird to hinder her from flying. He thought that he was growing worse and worse, and was further from conversion than ever before. Though he longed to let Christ into his heart, his unbelief would, as it were, set its shoulder to the door to keep him out. Yet all the time he was tormented with the most perverse scrupulosity of conscience, As to the act of sinning i was never more tender than now i durst not take a pin or a stick though but so big as a straw for my conscience now was sore and would smart at every twist i could not tell how to speak my words for fear i should misplace them oh how gingerly did i then go in all i did or said i found myself in a miry bog that shook if i did but stir and was as those left both of God and of Christ and the Spirit and all good things. All the misdoings of his earlier years rose up against him. He thought that no one could be so bad as he was. Not even the devil could be his equal. He was more loathsome in his own eyes than a toad. What then must God think of him? Despair seized fast hold of him. He thought he was forsaken of God and given up to the devil and a reprobate mind nor was this a transient fit of despondency. Thus, he writes, I continued a long while, even for some years together. So went on the struggle, described by himself in a picture of fearful fascination, through sudden animations of hopes and fears, fierce temptations, torturing illusions, harassing doubts as to the truth of Christianity, depths of despair, and elevations of joy. At one time a great storm came down upon him in which he felt himself driven to commit the unpardonable sin and blaspheme the Holy Ghost, whether he would or no. He was ready to leap head foremost into some muck-hole to prevent his uttering the fatal words, and yet at last he was convinced that he had committed no sin. He thought himself possessed by the devil, and compared himself to a child carried off under her apron by a gypsy. "'Kick sometimes I did,' and also shriek and cry, but yet I was as bound in the wings of the temptation, and the wind would carry me away. He wished himself a dog or a toad, for they had no soul to be lost, as his was like to be. And again a hopeless callousness seemed to settle upon him. If I would have given a thousand pounds for a tear, I could not shed one, no, nor sometimes scarce desire to shed one. Again the very ground of his faith was shaken. Was the Bible true, or was it rather a fable and cunning story? All thought their own religion true. Might not the Turks have as good scripture to prove their Mahomet savior as Christians had for Christ? What if all we believed in should be but a think-so, too? So powerful and real were his illusions that he had hard work to keep himself from praying to things about him, to a bush, a bull, a besom, or the like, or even to Satan himself. HE HEARD VOICES BEHIND HIM CRYING OUT THAT SATAN DESIRED TO HAVE HIM, AND THAT SO LOUD AND plain THAT HE WOULD TURN HIS HEAD TO SEE WHO WAS CALLING HIM. WHEN ON HIS KNEES IN PRAYER HE FANCIED HE FELT THE FOUL FIEND PULL HIS CLOTHES FROM BEHIND, BIDDING HIM TO BREAK OFF, MAKE HASTE, YOU'VE PRAYED ENOUGH. THIS HORROR OF GREAT DARKNESS WAS NOT ALWAYS UPON HIM. Bunyan HAD HIS INTERVALS OF SUNSHINE WEATHER, WHEN GIANT DESPAIR'S FITS CAME ON HIM, and the giant lost the use of his hand. Texts of scripture would give him a sweet glance, and flood his soul with comfort. But these intervals of happiness were brief. They were but hints, touches, and short visits, sweet when present, but like Peter's sheet suddenly caught up again into heaven. But, though transient, they helped the burdened pilgrim onward. The joy was real while it lasted. The words of the preacher's text, Behold, thou art fair, my love, kindling his spirit. He felt his heart filled with comfort and hope, and could believe that his sins would be forgiven. He was almost beside himself with ecstasy. I was now so taken with the love and mercy of God that I thought I could have spoken of it even to the very crows that sat upon the ploughed lands before me. Had they been capable to have understood me? Surely, he cried with gladness, I will not forget this forty years hence. But alas, within less than forty days, I began to question all again. It was the valley of the shadow of death which Bunyan, like his own pilgrim, was travelling through. But as in his allegory, by and by the day broke, and the Lord did more fully and graciously discover himself to him. One day, he writes, I was musing on the wickedness and blasphemy of my heart, that scripture came into my mind he hath made peace by the blood of his cross. By which I was made to see, both again and again and again that day, that God and my soul were friends by his blood. Yea, I saw the justice of God and my sinful soul could embrace and kiss each other. That was a good day to me. I hope I shall not forget it. At another time the glory and joy of a passage in the Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 were so weighty, that I was once or twice ready to swoon as I sat, not with grief and trouble, but with solid joy and peace. But, oh, now how was my soul led on from truth to truth by God! Now I had evidence of my salvation from heaven, with many golden seals thereon, all hanging in my sight, and I would long that the last day were come, or that I were fourscore years old, that I might die quickly, that my soul might be at rest." At this time he fell in with an old copy of Luther's commentary on the Galatians, so old that it was ready to fall piece from piece, if I did but turn it over. As he read, to his amazement and thankfulness, he found his own spiritual experience described. It was as if his book had been written out of my heart. It greatly comforted him to find that his condition was not, as he had thought, solitary, but that others had known the same inward struggles. OF ALL THE BOOKS THAT EVER HE HAD SEEN, HE DEEMED IT MOST FIT FOR A WOUNDED CONSCIENCE. THIS BOOK WAS ALSO THE MEANS OF AWAKENING AN INTENSE LOVE FOR THE SAVIOR. NOW I FOUND, AS I THOUGHT, THAT I LOVED CHRIST DEARLY. OH, METHOUGHT MY SOUL CLEAVED UNTO HIM, MY AFFECTIONS CLEAVED UNTO HIM, I FELT LOVE TO HIM AS HOT AS FIRE. NOW CAME A NEW AND EXTRAORDINARY TEMPTATION, He had found Christ, and felt him most precious to his soul. He was now tempted to give him up, to sell and part with the most blessed Christ, to exchange him for the things of this life, for anything. Nor was this a mere passing, intermittent delusion. It lay upon me for the space of a year, and did follow me so continually that I was not rid of it one day in a month, no, not sometimes one hour in many days together, except when I was asleep. Wherever he was, whatever he was doing, by day and night, in bed, at table, at work, a voice kept sounding in his ears, bidding him sell Christ for this or that. He could neither eat his food, stoop for a pin, chop a stick, or cast his eyes on anything, but the hateful words were heard, not once only, but a hundred times over, as fast as a man could speak. Sell him, sell him, sell him. And like his own Christian in the dark valley, he could not determine whether they were suggestions of the wicked one, or came from his own heart. The agony was so intense, while for hours together he struggled with the temptation, that his whole body was convulsed with it. It was no metaphorical, but an actual wrestling with a tangible enemy. He pushed and thrust with his hands and elbows, and kept still answering, as fast as the destroyer said, sell him. No, I will not, I will not, I will not, not for thousands, thousands, thousands of worlds, at least twenty times together. But the fatal moment came at last, and the wearied will yielded against itself. One morning as he lay in his bed, the voice came again with redoubled force and would not be silenced. He fought against it as long as he could, even until I was almost out of breath, when, without any conscious action of his will, the suicidal words shaped themselves in his heart, let him go if he will. Now all was over. He had spoken the words, and they could not be recalled. Satan had won the battle, and, as a bird that is shot from the top of a tree, down fell he into great guilt and fearful despair. He left his bed, dressed and went, moping into the field, where for the next two hours he was like a man bereft of life, and as one past all recovery and bound to eternal punishment. The most terrible examples in the Bible came trooping before him. He had sold his birthright like Esau. He had betrayed his master like Judas. I was ashamed that I should be like such an ugly man as Judas. There was no longer any place for repentance. He was past all recovery, shut up into the judgment to come. He hardly dared to pray. When he tried to do so, he was as with a tempest driven away from God, while something within said, "'Tis too late. I am lost. God hath let me fall." The texts which once comforted him gave him no comfort now, or if they did it was but for a brief space. About ten or eleven o'clock one day, as I was walking under a hedge and bemoaning myself for this hard hap that such a thought should arise within me, suddenly this sentence bolted upon me, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin, and gave me good encouragement. But in two or three hours all was gone. The terrible words concerning Esau's selling his birthright took possession of his mind and held him down. This stuck with him. Though he sought it carefully with tears, there was no restoration for him. His agony received a terrible aggravation from a highly colored narrative of the terrible death of Francis Spira, an Italian lawyer of the sixteenth century, who, having embraced the Protestant religion, was induced by worldly motives to return to the Romish church, and died full of remorse and despair, from which Bunyan afterwards drew the awful picture of the man in the iron cage at the interpreter's house. The reading of this book was to his troubled spirit as salt when rubbed into a fresh wound, as knives and daggers in his soul, we cannot wonder that his health began to give way under so protracted a struggle. His naturally sturdy frame was shaken by a continual trembling. He would wind and twine and shrink under his burden, the weight of which so crushed him that he could neither stand nor go nor lie, either at rest or quiet. His digestion became disordered, and a pain, as if his breastbone would have split asunder, made him fear that he had been guilty of Judas's sin So he was to perish by Judas's end and burst asunder in the midst no one was ever so bad as he when he compared his sins with those of david and solomon and manasseh and others which had been pardoned he thought his sins so much exceeded theirs that he could have no hope of pardon theirs it was true were great sins sins of a bloody colour but none of them were of the nature of his he had sold his saviour his sin was point-blank against Christ. Oh, methought this sin was bigger than the sins of a country, of a kingdom, or of the whole world. Not all of them together was able to equal mine. Mine outwent them every one. It was more than two years before this storm became a calm, and its waves, which he thought were driving his soul upon the rocks of despair, bore him to the haven where he would be, he had heard, as he thought, the tempter bidding him sell Christ, and he thought he heard God, with a great voice as it were over his shoulder behind him, saying, Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. And though he thought it mocked him, for there was no place of repentance for him, it still pursued him, hallooing after him, Return, return, and return he did, but not all at once, or without many a fresh struggle hot and cold fits alternated with fearful suddenness. As Esau beat him down, Christ raised him up. His life hung in doubt, not knowing which way he should tip. More sensible evidence came. One day, he tells us, as I walked to and fro in a good man's shop, bemoaning myself for this hard hap of mine, for that I should commit so great a sin, greatly fearing that I should not be pardoned, and ready to sink with fear, suddenly there was as if there had rushed in at the window the noise of wind upon me but very pleasant and i heard a voice speaking didst ever refuse to be justified by the blood of christ whether the voice were supernatural or not he was not in twenty years time able to determine at that time he thought it was it was as if an angel had come upon me it commanded a great calm upon me it persuaded me there might yet be hope Yet this persuasion soon vanished, and despair returned. My life hung in doubt before me, not knowing which way I should go. Only in this I found my soul's desire, even to cast itself at the foot of grace by prayer and supplication. But, oh, it was hard for me now to have the face to pray to this Christ for mercy against whom I had so vilely sinned. Yet, my case being desperate, I thought with myself, I can but die, and if it must be so, it shall once be said that such a one died at the foot of Christ in prayer. Oh, who knows how hard a thing I found it to come to God in prayer. I did also desire the prayers of the people of God for me, but I found that God would give them no heart to do it. Yea, I trembled in my soul to think that some or other of them would shortly tell me that God had said those words to them that he did once say to the prophet, concerning the children of israel pray not for this people for i will not hear them so pray not for him for i have rejected him in his despair he took an opportunity to break his mind to an ancient christian and told him all his case telling him also that he feared he had sinned the sin against the holy ghost to which the ancient christian replied that he thought so too here was cold comfort but a little further conversation revealed that his aged counsellor was a stranger to much combat with the devil in which surely bunyan was well practised wherefore i went to god again as well as i could for mercy still years after he remembered how in this time of hopelessness having walked one day to a neighbouring town wearied out with his misery he sat down upon a settee in the street and fell into a very deep pause about the most fearful state his sin had brought him to. The sin grudged him its light. The very stones of the street and the tiles on the house roofs seemed to bend themselves against him. He burst forth with a grievous sigh. How can God comfort such a wretch as I? Comfort was nearer than he imagined. No sooner had I said it, but this returned to me as an echo doth answer a voice, This sin is not unto death this breathed fresh life into his soul he was as if he had been raised out of the grave it was a release to me from my former bonds a shelter from my former storm the storm was indeed not over though its strength was spent his despairing thoughts returned but after them returned his hopes as he was on his knees before going to bed a few nights later seeking the lord with strong cries a voice echoed his prayers i have loved thee with an everlasting love now i went to bed at quiet and when i woke the next morning it was fresh upon my soul and i believed it thus he went on for many weeks sometimes comforted and sometimes tormented sometimes believing in the sufficiency of grace and again tortured by the recollections of esau the two being like a pair of scales within my mind sometimes one end would be uppermost and sometimes again the other according to which would be my trouble again his soul was sweetly visited by the promise he that cometh to me i will in no wise cast out yet he did not long enjoy this comfort for satan would greatly labor to put this promise from me by telling me that christ did not mean me and such as i but sinners of a lower rank that had not done as i had done but i would answer him again satan here is in these words no such exception but him that cometh him any him him that cometh to me i will in no wise cast out if ever satan and i did strive for any word of god in all my life it was for this good word of christ he at one end and i at the other oh what work we made it was for this in john i say that we did so tug and strive he pulled and i pulled but god be praised i overcame him i got sweetness from it These voices from heaven, whether real or not he could not tell, nor did he care much, for they were real to him, were continually sounding in his ears to help him out of the fresh crisis of his spiritual disorder. O man, great is thy faith. He is able. My grace is sufficient for thee. Such words were from time to time spoken loudly to his heart. The storm was passing over. Now remained only the hinder part of the tempest, the thunder was gone, only a few drops fell on him now and then. The long-expected deliverance was at hand. As he was walking in the fields, still with some fears in his heart, the sentence fell upon his soul, Thy righteousness is in heaven. He looked up, and saw with the eyes of his soul our Saviour at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness, so that wherever I was, or whatever I was a-doing, God could not say of me, HE WANTS MY RIGHTEOUSNESS, FOR THAT WAS JUST BEFORE HIM. NOW DID THE CHAINS FALL OFF FROM MY LEGS. I WAS LOOSED FROM MY AFFLICTION AND IRONS. MY TEMPTATIONS ALSO FLED AWAY, SO THAT FROM THAT TIME THOSE DREADFUL SCRIPTURES LEFT OFF TO TROUBLE ME. OH, METHOUGHT, CHRIST, CHRIST, THERE WAS NOTHING BUT CHRIST THAT WAS BEFORE MINE EYES. I could look from myself to him and would reckon that all those graces of God that were now given upon me were yet but like those crack groats and fourpence halfpennies that rich men carry in their purses, while their gold is in their trunks at home. Oh, I saw my gold was in my trunk at home, in Christ, my Lord and Saviour. Further, the Lord did lead me into the mystery of the union with the Son of God. His righteousness was mine his merits mine, his victory also mine. Now I could see myself in heaven and earth at once, in heaven by my Christ, by my head, by my righteous life, though on earth by my body or person. These blessed considerations were made to spangle in mine eyes. Christ was my all, all my wisdom, all my righteousness, all my sanctification, and all my redemption. End of section 2